today's scripture reading, you actually all do get the full list of rules that these ones got to skip, is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. God said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here ends our Old Testament lesson for this morning. I can't remember if in my, um, I have to get used to a new pulpit here. Hold on just a second. I can't remember if in my introduction to myself I mentioned uh, after 42 years, I am retired now, so I'm not AWOL. There isn't a church out there wondering, where's Pastor Scott? Is he going to show up? No. Uh, So we've enjoyed our time here. Uh, Before we do our New Testament lesson, um, let us pray asking God for uh, help in understanding his holy word. Holy God, Word made flesh, let us come to your Word open to being surprised. Silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual detachment, confound our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears, penetrate our hearts with your holy love. We know you can, and we pray that you will, and that we hear your word of truth and grace for us this morning. Amen. Our uh, New Testament lesson is uh, from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, uh, uh, chapter 12, verses, I'm going to start with verse 6 and go through 10. But leading up to verse 6, Paul is, uh, he has been blessed with visions and uh, revelations, giving him an insight into the mind of God that few people have been granted. And so that's where we pick up. He's he's been discussing this and sharing this in his letter. And he says, even if I choose to boast, if he had a lot he could boast about, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Paul was a man of lofty intelligence. Uh, He studied under one of the most um, respected rabbis in history, the Rabbi Gamaliel. No one in the early church was as well educated as he was. More than half of the books of the Bible have uh, been traditionally attributed to the Apostle Paul. Uh, About half of the book of Acts that Luke wrote is about Paul's life and his missionary journeys. And on those missionary journeys, Paul himself established quite a few new worshiping communities, new churches. Paul had a lot of which he could be proud. And yet, in the New Testament lesson that I just read, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul speaks of something that he refers to as a thorn in his flesh. We read... In 2 Corinthians, Paul saying, To keep me from being conceited, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh to torment me. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. Some biblical scholars have suggested that Paul's thorn was some kind of a, a chronic malady, like maybe poor eyesight, and they'll point to his letter to the Galatians, where at the end of that letter he, he, he almost apologizes for how big his handwriting is. Maybe um, Paul uh, had migraine headaches, or uh, maybe he had a speech impediment. We don't know. Still other biblical scholars suggest that this thorn was in some kind of an incessant temptation which he struggled with throughout his life. But what kind of temptation would that be? We don't know. Other biblical scholars suggest that perhaps these temptations were sexual in nature. Remember that Paul lived in and was a reflection of a very repressive time and culture when it came to sex. One misstep in any direction and you may find yourself uh, being stoned to death. And that's enough to cause anybody anxiety, even if you think you're doing it right. We do, we do often know a lot about Paul from his own writings. He was uh, passively, I'm sorry, he was passionately emotional. Paul is perceived to be negative towards sex, marriage, and women. He's filled with enormous feelings of self-loathing about himself and his body. He sought to deal with these feelings as a good Jew would, in a time-honored way of religious zeal and rigid discipline. Now, Chris this morning read our Old Testament lesson about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai after 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. 
with the commandments. But did you know he came down from that mountain with more than ten commandments? He came down with 613. Think about how heavy those tablets would have been. They're all there in the Bible. I mean, if Google list 316 commandments, you'll be amazed at what this contains. Very, very detailed. They're all in Leviticus and uh, Deuteronomy, some in Numbers. Some of those commandments are in Exodus. Some of those commandments have to do with how to worship God, how to pray, uh, how to love God properly. Uh, They have to do with how to treat others with respect. Uh, Commandments on tithing to the temple and how that's to work. Commandments on dietary laws and kosher laws. (laughs) I was once eating at a hotel in Israel with a group of people. And after a while, the table became cluttered with a lot of used dishes and stuff. And so, to be helpful, I picked up a bunch of dishes and I set them over on a counter next to the kitchen. And you would have thought all hell broke loose because I set those dishes down on a kosher counter. And now somebody was going to have to come Another rabbi would have to come and bless that, that counter. And if you have friends who keep a kosher household, you know they have two sets of cabinets, one with all of their kosher dishes and cookware and one without uh, that are not kosher. And heaven forbid a non-kosher spoon go into a kosher teacup. That's the kind of minute detail that these... 613 commandments consist there's commandments on marriage and divorce uh, commandments on sexual practices on the judicial system on uh, borrowing and lending uh, rules on hygiene on farming on livestock etc etc how to treat your servants and Paul could not no matter how hard he tried to keep all the rules the letter of the law, nor master the desires that consumed him. What were those desires? We do not know. However, the Apostle Paul does speak a lot about sexual desires in his first letter to the Corinthians in the uh, seventh chapter. He speaks about them as if he has personal knowledge of some of these struggles. And while he grudgingly assents to the idea of marriage for men who can't control their sexual desires, saying in 1 Corinthians, for it is better to marry than to be aflamed with passion. It is clear that in Paul's opinion, it's better not to be married at all. His clear preference was for the non-married state. Paul says, and I'm now quoting from, uh, again, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 7, selected verses. He says, I wish all were as I am with regard to not being married. He says, those who marry will have affliction in regard to the flesh, and I would spare you that. Sound familiar? Affliction in regard to the flesh, affliction, flesh, thorn in the flesh. Paul states, It is my opinion a widow is happier if she remains as she is and does not marry again. And uh, something he says, which I don't think he meant to be humorous, 
what I think is a great line. And he says, he who marries his virgin does well, and he who does not marry her does better. And of course, his, his famous line, it is best for a man not to marry a woman. Whatever incessant temptation burned deep within Paul, it doesn't seem to have any connection, any, anything related to the desire for a union with a woman, which seems peculiar because marriage, married love, married sexual pleasure are celebrated in the Jewish law that he's trying so hard to keep. So the nature of Paul's thorn, we do not know. What kind of temptation could be the cause of the thorn of which he speaks, which caused him such anxiety? Well, some biblical scholars who are smarter than I am, hence why they call them scholars, I guess, some biblical scholars suggest that the Apostle Paul was possibly gay and that his life was one of struggle and turmoil dealing with those feelings of being a gay male at a time and in a culture in which gay males were regarded as aberrant. Fortunately, for our time and culture, we've become more open and tolerant on that subject. The question of Paul's sexual orientation are nothing new. Biblical scholars have been discussing it, debating it for years, decades, perhaps centuries. And I don't mention it to be salacious or titillating. Some biblical scholars being versed in the totality of Paul's writings, believe that nothing else could account for Paul's self-judging rhetoric, his negative feelings towards his own body, his sense of being controlled by something he had no power to change, the turmoil that went on between the desire in his head and the desire with his body his zeal towards a legalistic religion of control, keeping the Jewish law to the letter, which he felt he could never achieve, his attitude towards women, his refusal to seek marriage. These biblical scholars believe that nothing else accounts for these things as well as the possibility that Paul was a gay male. Was that the thorn in his flesh? We do not know. On another occasion, Paul wrote to the church um, in Galatia, to the Galatians, and he, he writes, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as a messenger of God. In other words, Paul had a condition about himself which he had no power to change. It was a condition for which he feared people would scorn and despise him. But if the thorn in your flesh is poor eyesight or migraine headaches, I don't think you'd be concerned about being scorned or despised. But again, at the end of the day, we do not know what Paul was referring to by the phrase, a thorn in my flesh. But here's the amazing thing. And here's the message for us this morning. Whatever this thorn was, Paul came to consider it as a gift. Yeah, that's right. Think about that. A gift. 
It was a gift that would ensure that Paul would always remember who he was and who God is. Let me ask you, do you have a thorn in your flesh? Do you have a constant irritant that you may never be rid of? And don't be pointing at your spouse. Maybe your thorn is a physical disability. Maybe it's a disease or an addiction. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's your sexual orientation. Or if not your sexual orientation, perhaps your thorn is the way others treat you and and react to you because of your lifestyle. All of us have differing thorns. Is there any one of you who would embrace your thorn as a gift from God? I don't mean to suggest that God sent the thorn. I don't believe God works that way. Yes, in the Bible we're assured in Romans 8 that God works for good in all things that happen. That does not mean that God causes all things that happen to happen or that all things that happen are good. Nevertheless, in all things, God is there with you as you seek to deal with that thorn. And God can use that thorn to bless your life and to bless others. Just as Paul's thorn came to serve as a positive part of his life. What Paul learned from his thorn was the sufficiency of God's grace. Three times, Paul says it, of his thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. It would have made his life easier. It would have made it less conflicted. But God said to me, continues Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Remember that for the first half of Paul's life, he was a rigid, practicing Jew. He was an Orthodox Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a legalist, trying to keep the Torah's laws because that, for a Jew, that's all there is. That's what it's about. That's all that anyone can do to achieve atonement. Keeping the law, the letter of the law. Which, by the way, is impossible. Read those 613 commandments. We're human. Paul was human. Even saints are human. And that's why we need God's amazing grace. So think about how liberating it must have been when Paul discovered Christ, when Paul discovered Christianity. I I mean, really discovered it in a meaningful way for the first time in a conversion experience on the road to Damascus. He spent his life up to that point in emotional turmoil, feeling tremendous guilt and shame which produced in him self loathing. He felt that he couldn't measure up, that he wasn't enough, no matter how hard he tried. He couldn't live up to those 613 commandments, though he could recite them all by heart, trying to be other than he was, other than he was created, and the burden of keeping it hidden. 
in his conversion experience, he has a visionary encounter with Christ. Can you imagine, even begin to imagine, how glorious that was? How marvelous that was? How marvelously glorious that was? How liberating and freeing it was? How powerful it was for Paul to finally discover he did measure up. He was good enough. He was perfect in God's eyes, just the way he was. Because God loved him. God loved him. And God's love is unconditional. And that's called grace. And the grace is sufficient for us, for Paul, for everyone, for all. And that's really the message for this morning. God's grace and love. Please remember that the message is not about Paul this morning. The message is about God's grace. So don't go running up to Pastor Jonathan when he returns saying, oh, Reverend Esler said Paul was gay. I, I've said no such thing. Throughout the sermon I have said we do not know or will we ever know the nature of Paul's thorn. And then I offered some biblical scholars' suggestions. But I have to admit that I do find it interesting that it took a middle-aged, perhaps homosexual male, to be the one who helped the church come to understand what the love of God means and the necessity for Christ, our Savior, who is grace personified and is sufficient. Your thorn in life, whatever it may be, is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his love, his grace, his power in your life. Now, I've been looking at my wife. She has not yet given me the universal clergy spouse sign of enough. So I figure I have at least one more minute. So I'd like to sum up this morning with this beautiful thought by the Reverend John Spong, the Episcopal Bishop of uh, Newark, New Jersey. Reverend Spong himself is straight, married, has three children. And he writes this about the Apostle Paul. I'll see if I can get through this without choking up. What is the word of God for us underneath the words of Paul? It is that each of us no matter how dark our shadows or how condemned we are made to feel, are nonetheless the objects of the infinite and graceful love of God. Each of us is called to live in the wholeness of that love as one who has been embraced by the giver of infinite love, infinite value. Accepting that divine valuation, we are to find the courage to be the self God has created us to be the self we are intended to be, the graceful gift of the righteousness of God. For those who have ears to hear, amen and amen. Amen.